the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner, Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you've got a money question for the show, always feel free to shoot me an email. Just go to chadburton.com. Or email me, chad at chadburton.com. If you go to chadburton.com, you can actually check out the live link right now to sign up for the event. So if you're going to chadburton.com, you're going to see the landing page here. If you go down towards the middle in our events and webinars page, you'll see that the seven steps for retirement readiness, that event is live and ready to go. Um, So you can register there. So check it out. Um, That's Thursday, December 7th. Seven key things you need to do to really double check on your retirement. Or if you're trying to get ready to retire, are you truly ready? Do you have all of the right key things in place to be able to say, yep, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go enjoy life and stop working. A couple of things that I wanted to go over today. I want to go over just where we are in the market because it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to go over some IRA to Roth conversions because it's year-end planning time. A lot of the stuff that you want to do starts in November because you have a really good idea where you're at tax-wise for the year. And if you're in retirement, it's really key to think about Roth conversions. And we're also in the, the month of giving. And so a lot of people start to think about funding their charities for the year. We're going to talk about the best way to do that. But first, I want to go over the market. And everybody talks about the S&P 500. It's the largest 500 companies in America, but it's a very market cap weighted index. And it's, you know, in the near, I started this business um, well, 30 years ago. And it is the most tech heavy that we've seen the S&P 500. And it's most like the NASDAQ now. So they're very similar. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But um, the S&P 500 right now, if we're looking at before the market opens um, on November 17th, up 19.05% for the year. So it looks like a phenomenal year. I'm going to put everything in perspective, though, because where we're at in the market right now, essentially, we had this big rally up and starting in January of 2022. So nearly two years ago now, we had the idea that the Fed's going to come in and raise interest rates, which they absolutely did to fight inflation. And there's been a biggest jump in rates that I've seen um, in a short period of time in my career. And um, so there was a tech wreck in 2022. Now, tech stocks are way up this year. But what I'm going to show you is that the market expected a recession two years ago. We're kind of going into this soft patch finally now because the labor department or the labor department, the labor market has been very strong. The consumer has been very strong. But you're starting to see things 
weaken, whether it's um, higher credit card debt, whether it's a decrease in money supply. It looks to be a little bit of a soft patch, but at the same time, I'm going to show you that the market's really gone nowhere over the last two years. Um, so if we look at the S&P 500, you'll notice it's 19.5%, 19.05% for the year. That's a total return with dividends. And I love to use Y charts um, when I you know, take a look at where we are in the market. Now, it's it's been a big rally in the last three weeks. Now, you notice we topped out up almost 20% back in late July. And then we lost more than half of that up until about three weeks ago. And then the stock market started to rally again. Why? It's the idea that the Federal Reserve is done raising rates, where we've gone from sub 3% mortgages to above 7% mortgages at one point. And that's slowed the economy. And it's really affected smaller companies because smaller companies, in order to grow, they need to go out and borrow money to buy equipment or to expand. And that's got that's that's gotten way more expensive. And it's also slowed even the type of uh, venture capital funding that's out there. So you are seeing definitely the slowdown. The economy has been pretty resilient, but you're seeing it out there. So if we look at the chart of the S&P 500 since October 27th, when that, when that idea of hey, we've kind of topped out on the rate increases. The S&P 500 has rallied 9.63% in a short period of time. Now, one of the lessons there is that what have we had happen in that period of time? We've had the, the conflict in Israel. Um, and so a lot of people get scared and they try to time the market and then boom, you miss out on a big rally like this. So timing the market is not a good idea. Um, so if we get back to the year to date on the S&P 500, you're kind of, okay, where have we gone, right? Because what is the S&P 500? It, it really, there's, you hear this term out there called the Magnificent Seven. Well, the S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index. So it's 500 largest companies in America, but they, the way that it's built is more of the money that you invest into an S&P 500 index fund goes into the largest companies. And over the last several years, those have become tech stocks because they've made everybody more productive, right? Um, so you've got Apple is 7.3% of the index, Microsoft at almost 7.3. You've got Amazon at 3.44%, NVIDIA 3.2%. Google's broken down in two parts. So 2% here, two, almost 2% there. So it's almost 4%. Um, and you've got uh, uh, Facebook, at almost 1.96%. And then you get Tesla 1.7. So you're all the way down to Berkshire Hathaway before you get out of any kind of tech exposure here. So the tech returns look really, really good for the year. In fact, if we take a look at a more tech-oriented index, that's the NASDAQ. That's the other one that you hear about. And I wanted you to look. And so for, for those of you that are listening to the podcast, you can go to social media, you can go to YouTube, you can see some of this on video that I've got pulled up on white charts right now. And if you look at the makeup of the NASDAQ, and this is after a bit of a, a reconstruction, it was even heavier weighted to Apple and Microsoft, but the NASDAQ is 11% Apple, 10.3% Microsoft, 5% Amazon. So that, you know, these top tech stocks are, are in both indexes now. It's just even weighted more towards Apple and Microsoft. So how Michael, uh, Applesoft, how Microsoft and Apple do has really been driving a lot of the S&P 500 returns. And so when you look at the NASDAQ for the year, that's up 45.57%, right? But 
you know, let's let's take a second and put that in perspective because investors have financial Alzheimer's. People forget very quickly what's happened in different phases and they go through these periods of FOMO, the fear of missing out on returns like this. Um, and, and, and greed and, you know, if you invest within most and you're going to get caught. And so you always have to kind of go back and look at perspective. Okay. Where are we? We're up 45.57% for the year, but on the NASDAQ, which is those heavy tech stocks, let's go all the way back to January 3rd of 2022, which is the first trading day, um, in the year 2022. And that was when interest rates started to go up. So the market fell pretty hard that first week in, in, uh, or it fell pretty hard in, in 2022, um, starting after a big run up in 2021. And so you see that we go to the end of 2022 and it was called the tech Rex. tech stocks were way, way down. And then this year they're way, way up. But if we look from January of 2022, the NASDAQ is still down 2.8%. So what has happened is, you know, when the market thinks about a recession or something, it, it, it overreacts in the short term and then reprices in the long term. And so really you look at tech stocks, they've really gone nowhere over the last couple of years. Now, most investors are not just in the S&P 500 or in the NASDAQ and tech stocks, right? They have, when, when a portfolio is being built, you have large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, bonds, and all of that's in the portfolio. So when you look at large cap, you could break it down even further and say, okay, well, let's look at an ETF such as VUG, which is a, a broad-based Vanguard growth ETF. Um, so similar holdings as there's going to be a lot of tech and, and, and high revenue growth companies. Um, and none of these are recommendations. I always consult a broker advisor before taking any action. I just use these to look at, okay, what, what is broad market doing? Because when you invest in large cap, small cap or mid cap, you have exposure to value and you have exposure to growth because they do both do well at different times. For example, if you look at this chart from Y charts, Vanguard VUG total return, um, is 39.25% because of the tech exposure where value VTV that I'm going to invest in companies that on a price to, uh, PE ratio, price to earnings ratio, price to sales, price to book look like a better bargain over the long term. They might not be growing revenue as quickly, but they're cheaper at a fundamental level. Value is only up 1.9% for the year. All right. So when you, when you take a look at that, you're like, oh man, why didn't I just go all into S&P 500 or all into tech this year? Well, again, let's go put that back into perspective and go all the way back to January 3rd of 2022. If you take a longer term perspective and two years is not long in the stock market, that's still a short period of time. 10 years is a longer period of time. Over two years, value is actually outperformed growth. It's up it's it's down 0.6 while growth over the last two years is down 7.55%. Okay. So again, let's just go back and put it in perspective. Where have we gone over the last two years as we've gone through this interest rate increase cycle, which started in January of 2022. And now the feds are trying to signal that, okay, we're, we're going to stop for now, as long as inflation signs keep coming down. Um. So I think that puts it in a little bit better perspective on where we've been. Now let's look at the bond market because the bond market's been the, the, the wild ride in the bond market over the last one year and 11 and a half months has been quite 
crazy. So if we look at the the bond market, I like to look at AGG, which is an iShare US aggregate bond ETF. It tracks the Barclays aggregate bond index. So most bond fund managers that are in that kind of core bond um, uh, space when you're investing, they compare their performance to the Barclays aggregate bond index. So it's an index-based ETF. Um, and right now it's sitting up 0.62% as the total return, but that's with the yield. That's with the income that's coming in to offset the fall in the share price. But you can see that not too long ago, uh, back on, Ooh, let's see. What was the top out date about? Yeah. Yeah. About October 27th when the fed started to signal rates have kind of topped out. Uh, the bond market was actually down about 3% after, even after receiving the income from the bonds inside of it, right? So that, that's a pretty decent drop in the share price for bonds. But then bond market has rallied quite a bit in the last couple of weeks with the idea, okay, if we can, we can go back into the bond market, take advantage of the highest rates we've seen since 2006, because the feds are signaling that they're done. We're starting to see the economy slowing down, inflationary numbers come down a bit, not as much as they want, but enough to say, okay, we're gonna pause and we're just not gonna keep raising rates right now blindly. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcase is always packed pass or the wait, I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. We look at the bond market, though. This has been the wild ride. If we can go back and put it in perspective, because 2022 is a very rough year for, for not only stocks, but bonds were down, um, you know, at one point. 16% recovered a little bit by the end of the year, but bonds were down about 13% in 2022, and they are now flat for this year. So that's the total return. That includes the income that you're getting from the bond. So it's been the roughest period for bonds since the 80s. Um, but the reason why people are, you know, jumped into a lot is because, you know, rates have topped out. And what happens when, when you have, bonds um, where people think, okay, rates have topped out. I want to take advantage of it. I want to start buying bond. That starts to push the price of the bond up and the yield down. And so if we look at what's happened in the the bond market in the last year, in, in 2023, which I can't believe is almost over here, um, what you're looking at now, if you're following along um, on the podcast, again, you can find this in some of the social media outlets and YouTube. Um, so you can see that this is a, a 10-year treasury rate versus a two-year treasury rate. So this is investing with the US government. I'm gonna I'm gonna loan the US government money for 10 years and I'm gonna get a rate of return. Um, or I'm gonna loan it only for two years. Now typically you'd say, okay, if I'm gonna lend an entity money for 10 years, I better get a higher rate of return than if I'm lending it for only two years. But right now, we still have an inverted yield curve. So right now, the 10-year treasury rate, even though just a very short time ago, topped out on October 17th at around 5%. Um, right now, the uh, 10-year treasury is yielding 4.53%. However, the two-year treasury is paying more still at 4.9%. So we still have this inverted yield curve. Um, which is always talked about, you know, at some point, 
when you have an inverted yield curve between you know a couple months and sometimes a couple of years, you get a recession. So it's not an exact science, but it just shows that where we're at in the economy because the feds are raising rates. They're dealing with the overnight lending rates between banks, which kind of flows through to the entire market. Um, and but short term rates go up quicker, and then um, eventually you either have long term rates catch up and go above, or shorter term rates start to come back down. Either way, it's been a choppy ride in the bond market, but bonds, if we look back through a higher period of time, if we look back from January of 2022, you see that um, the 10-year treasury was you know, well below 2%, and the 10-year treasury is now 4.53%. That is a large move in a year and 11 months, right? So that's been a, a wild ride in bonds, but if we kind of put things in perspective, I just want to take a look at the two-year um, and go back over time. So this this goes back, you know, pre-1970. This is what rates look like over time. So if we look back over prior to the Great Recession in the uh, 07, 08 timeframe, that's when we last saw 10-year Treasury rates up at around the 5% range. So that's why I keep saying when you're when you're listening to me on air, this is, you know, we haven't seen rates like this since 2006. Um so, so the oh another area that I want to talk about. Um, there's two areas that are very sensitive to economic cycles caused by rate increases, right? So when you have a large rate increase, the Fed is trying to slow the economy back down because we had way too much fuel to the fire. We had PPP loans that a lot of businesses didn't need and ended up keeping. Um, ERC credits, all this money was dumped into the system prior to COVID, which caused a lot of deflation. There was too much money out there. People had too much extra money to buy things like boats, RVs, cars, things like that. And so when rates go back up and you go through a tough economic cycle, if rates are going up really quickly, real estate investment trusts are REITs. And, and these are mutual funds or ETFs that hold a lot of real estate investment trusts. So that could be in apartment buildings, um, it could be office buildings. It could be uh, hospitals. Basically, it's the idea that you're a landlord and you're taking a bunch of income in. And so when rates go up, the idea that commercial um, office space is going to have trouble refinancing loans at much higher rates and have a higher cost, um, they're very sensitive. Real estate investment trusts tend to fall when rates jump a lot. Also, small cap stocks, which you can look at um, by the Russell 2000, and I've got the ETF pulled up here, IWM. And those are small and mid-cap stocks. And when you're a smaller company, you're often borrowing a lot of money to continue to expand your business because you have these points in time where your revenue is growing quickly, but your cost in order to build up and get to the point where you need to get to be profitable um, and really on that next glide path to becoming a larger entity and a larger company, you got to borrow money. And so you go through periods of time where small cap stocks in a recession, they get hit first, but also when raising rates go up very quickly, they get hit first. And so it's been a very interesting year and volatile year for both real estate investment trusts and small and mid cap companies. Um, year to date, if we look at the Russell 2000, it's up about 2% for the year, but it was down about 6% just a couple of weeks ago and rallied up quite a bit. Real estate investment trusts, which has held on pretty well this year because a lot of the news was talked about last year with higher rates and so much, you know, one point some trillion dollars of debt that needs to be refinanced in office space and people aren't going to come back to work. It's, it's, it's a little bit overblown. 
Um, and there's a lot of money out there for refinancing. And I think we'll see a lot of what happens in the office real estate market in the next couple of quarters as they go refinance. But if we put this in a longer term perspective, you know, is there opportunity to eventually look at in the space when we do get confirmation that rates have stopped going up? Um, that, you know, are we just through a slow patch in the economy or we're in a recession? We'll find that out over the next couple of quarters. But this is real estate um, by looking at just Vanguard's VNQ ETF and the iShares Russell 2000 ETF IWM. If we go all the way back to January 2022, again, when this rate cycle started, REITs are down 26% and the small caps with the Russell 2000 are down 19.92%. And so, you know, that's one of the first things that that I did back in 2020 timeframe in the big giant COVID correction is try to make sure we added to small caps because if they fell so much farther than the overall rest of the market. So the point is, is when we look at this and if we add, you know, S&P 500 into this chart by using SPY ETF um, or the bond market into this chart by using AGG, which is um, the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index ETF, you'll see that whatever asset class that you're looking in, large cap, small cap, real estate, bonds, Everything is still down from January of 2022, even though we've had a rocking year in, in stocks. So a couple of points here is that if you have a bunch of cash on the sidelines, the market's already predicted and tried to overreact to the downside and then come back to kind of normal to the slowdown that we're starting to see. And stocks take very, very good care of you over a 10, 15 year period. Um, and, and even bonds are very attractive. So if you have cash, Start averaging it in over, especially if you, you know, go through the soft pass because you're going to be very happy in 10 years. Or if you have a portfolio and you're getting closer and closer to retirement, we had just a great rally in the last three weeks in stocks and bonds are still very attractive in the long term. So if you feel like you need to rebalance to either say, I need to take less risk because I can't handle the volatility or I'm going into retirement and start to transition my portfolio from the accumulation phase to the distribution phase. It's a good time to really, really take a close look at that, to really take a close look at that. So with that, I'm going to take it, you know, we have, so even though we've seen the stock rally, this bond rally, again, part of investing is making sure that you're putting things in a longer term perspective because people, all they think about is what they hear on the news whatever they hear on Facebook, TikTok, or whatever about short term blips of what's the market doing today. And that's because of this 24-hour news cycle and social media world that we're in. And that's just not how true investing should work. At the same time, and this is some of the things we talk about at the webinar that you can sign up for at chadburton.com on, on the 7th, is you do have to transition that portfolio over time. You want to be in that go-go growth phase, typically into your late 40s and 50s. But at some point, you've got to transition that portfolio to a balanced portfolio um, and a, a certain amount of cash to make it through difficult market cycles. So I'm going to shift gears a little bit here as I get out of the world of, okay, hey, what stocks are doing. And I want to talk about a couple of things that our whole team, all of our certified financial planner practitioners and in our back office, which um, uh, supports us in, in getting these things actually done after we do the planning, all of our client service reps is... Number one, looking at IRA to Roth conversions if you are in retirement. 
So if you're in retirement, it's an idea that we're, we need to really maximize taxes and save taxes over a longer period of time. And so by November, you know your basic tax situation for the year. You, know, you have a good idea on how much you have in dividends and interest um, from your non-retirement accounts that you pay taxes on anyway. How much interest you have in the bank, which is a lot more than last year, if you have a lot of cash. Um, how much have you sold in stocks and real estate to have capital gains? What's your income from Social Security, from work, whatever it may be. So you have an idea of where your taxes lie for the year. And as you retire, you have to realize that you have a lot of control over your tax bracket from the date of retirement until you turn 75. But once you're 75, in most cases, or 73 if you're a little bit older. So current age for required minimum distributions, when you have to take money out of your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, all of these retirement accounts is age 73. For some people that are younger, it's going to be 75, right? So you have to know what where you lie. And the idea here is, is if you're retired, you have to have a very good cash flow projection and tax projection that you can see based on how you're pulling money out of accounts. What is my tax bracket now? But what will it be when I turn 75? Will it go way up because I have to take all this money out of retirement accounts? And you also have to realize that how tax brackets work, right? So a lesson in taxes so far is that the first thing that you have to realize is that there's a certain amount of of income that you can take without paying taxes at all. And that's because there's either the standard deduction that everybody gets, or if you have a mortgage and a lot of medical expenses and charitable gifts, you might be doing an itemized deduction, right? Either way, there's a certain amount of money that you can take tax-free out of accounts because of the standard deduction or the itemized deductions. So if we look at, um, let's see, what's the, the 2023 um, standard deduction? I had the number up, but it's, it's you know, somewhere around $28,000 or so. So when you look at the idea of, of tax planning before the year is over, you want to say, okay, this is my approximate taxable income after my deduction. So for example, um, if, if we look at just, I'm just going to pick on married filing jointly right now, you have a certain amount of income that is totally tax-free. And then you've got uh, different rates on your tax return. Hi, this is Chad Burton. If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts, regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close, and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com, and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. So when considering an IRA to Roth conversion, at a basic level, the idea here is from the date of retirement to your age of required minimum distribution, which is 73 now for 75 
for uh, younger people is you're, you're trying to fill in the tax bracket. So again, when people file their tax return, you're either taking the standard deduction, which everybody gets. That's the, that means the first amount of income that that either if you're single or married, there's a certain amount of income that you can take tax-free because of the standard deduction. For 2023, for single people, that's $13,850. Or for married people filing jointly, $27,700 is a little bit more for people over age 65. But the idea is that that amount of income is, is non-taxable. And then the rest of your taxable income goes through these different brackets. Now, you might even have more than that because if you itemize your deductions on the Schedule A of your tax return, so you can literally just flip through your tax return, look at the Schedule A to see if you're itemizing. And if you have mortgage interest, property taxes, medical deductions, charitable gifts, that's when people typically itemize and they can actually have more than the standard deduction, more tax-free income. And so you got to think that, okay, at a basic level, if you're married, filing jointly, and you're retired, there's about $30,000 that of income that's going to be tax-free, right? So as we get in towards the end of the year, a couple of things that I want to talk about that our, all of our certified financial planners are, are very busy with is a couple of things. Number one is looking at the idea of if you are retired uh, and you have different types of accounts, is it a good idea to convert some of your IRA to your Roth account every single year? The reason why we think about doing this is because if you have a really good financial plan, a really good long-term cash flow protection and tax projection, you should be able to see what your tax bracket could be now, but what it's going to look like once your required minimum distributions kick in. And what that means is that at a certain age, right now it's 73, eventually goes up to 75, you have to start taking money out of your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs. Even if you don't want to, you have to start taking the money out and paying taxes over time. So when people retire... There's a couple of different phases of planning. There's the data retirement through uh, age 65 when you get on Medicare because the taxes are different. Then there's the that age to when you start taking Social Security, which could be anywhere from your full retirement age to age 70. And then it's another form of tax planning once you hit required minimum distribution age, which is, like I said, right now, 73 going up to age 75. So the idea that if you have a really good financial plan should be a long-term cash flow projection, which accounts are my money going to, is my money going to come from? Um, and if you have a lot of assets still left over when you're in your old age and, you know, eighties and nineties, um, should you be considering this? Should you try to keep your taxes lower for longer by taking advantages of small IRA to Roth conversions? Because when you're working, there is limits to fund a Roth IRA with cash. But there are no income limits to be able to move money from your IRA to your Roth because the government's happy to take your tax money. The question is, is it a good idea? And for you to understand this, you do need to understand tax brackets and taxes a little bit and how they work. Um, so those that are listening on the podcast, you can follow along. You get a YouTube, some social media outlets, and we're, we're going to talk about this. I've just got some basic tax brackets pulled up so that you can kind of understand how tax brackets work and why you want to think about from the date of retirement, especially through to required minimum distribution age, where you're thinking about filling in tax brackets. So the first thing that you want to think about is the standard deduction. Um, what a standard deduction is, is that everybody in the U.S., 
gets to take a certain amount of income completely tax-free because of the standard deduction. Uh, it's a little over 13000 for single people. It's it's nearly 28000 for married filing jointly, a little more for over age 65. But the idea is that there's that income that's tax-free. And then you say, what is my tax bracket? But it's a laddered approach to tax bracket. So in this chart, I'm going to pick on married filing jointly, right? Now, let's talk about the standard deduction for a moment, because that's the amount of money that everybody can take as tax-free uh, income. And so some people, though, itemize their deductions and get even more tax-free income. So those that itemize their deductions, typically you're going to have a mortgage and where you're writing off the interest, um, property taxes and state and local taxes up to 10 grand, medical expenses, charitable gifts. We're going to talk about charitable gifting a little bit later. The idea is that you're going to have at least the standard deduction as tax-free income or your itemized deductions, whichever is more. And then the rest of your income, your ordinary income, your taxable income goes through the ordinary income tax bracket. So if you're married filing jointly, and let's just use that you know $28,000 number, and it's it's more than that. That's not exact. It's um, But it, for purposes of, the, of this... That amount of money is tax-free or your itemized deductions, whichever is greater. Then the next $22,000 of ordinary income is taxed at 10%. Then money between $22,000 and $89,000 is taxed at 12%. So if you think about that, married couple filing jointly can have that $89,000 plus their standard deduction, and they're paying less than a 12% overall effective rate. Now, if they earn, if they have taxable income over 89,450 in 2023, then it starts to break into the 22% bracket, but it doesn't pull the income from the other brackets up. It's just the next dollar. So for example, if, if a couple is retired and they're towards the end of the year and they've started doing this tax planning with their advisor and CPA, um, let's say their taxable income calculates at $70,000. Well, they know that they have another $19,000 at that 12% federal bracket. And if they have a good financial plan, they can clearly see in the future, when I start taking my required minimum distributions, am I going to be at a lot higher bracket? If I am, well, I might as well move that $19,000 from my IRA to my Roth. It's called an IRA to Roth conversion and pay the taxes now at the 12% bracket because... I'm going to pay a higher bracket later. And if I do that, I know I'm going to reduce the amount of money in my IRA. So I'm going to reduce my required minimum distributions that I'm going to face in the future. And I'm going to create an account that's going to grow completely tax-free. Completely tax-free. That'll help do a couple of things. Lower your social security taxes potentially in the future. Lower how much you pay for Medicare potentially in the future. And then goes to your, your spouse or your kids if you, if you pass away, your spouse gets to roll that tax-free Roth IRA into his or her own Roth IRA. If it goes to your kids, they can roll it into an inherited Roth IRA and have another 10 years of tax-free growth on top of that. So another example, if you're married filing jointly, you've got the standard deduction or, or itemized deduction that's tax-free. And let's say you're always solidly going to be in the 22% bracket and you have income that's $100,000. Um, well, you you might have another <clears throat> a taxable income um, 
you know, you might have another $90,000 potentially you can convert before you break out of that 22% bracket. Now, is it a good idea? Because there's a couple of things that you've got to think about. It's not just filling in the tax brackets these days, right? Your first thing, if you're going to do this, you got to say, okay, do I have a good financial plan where I know how much money I'm going to be leaving my kids in the future? Is it a good idea to consider paying taxes now at a lower bracket than paying taxes at a higher bracket? Do you have cash on the sidelines to pay the taxes? Um, but you, there are some pitfalls to this. You can't just blindly do this based on what I'm talking about. You have to have a good certified financial planner that can run this analysis and working with a tax advisor because there's a couple of issues. First of all, if you've retired early, before age 65, before Medicare kicks in, it's likely that you're getting premium tax credits for your health insurance that you're buying through the marketplace. So like covered California and California, for example. You can have a lot of assets, but if your taxable income looks low because you're living off cash, dividends, and interest, and a little bit of pension, potentially, maybe some real estate income, it's based on your modified adjusted gross income where you can, not your asset level. So you can get a, a large amounts of premium tax credits. And sometimes people are thinking about just income tax brackets when they do IRA to Roth conversions, not realizing that you're going to start giving up a bunch of premium tax credits for the health insurance. So there's a different phase of planning between early retirement and 65. After you're 65 and you go on Medicare, the next thing you have to think about is if you have a high income, if you convert too much money from an IRA to a Roth, you can end up paying more for your social security part or your Medicare part B premiums. Those premiums can go way up. Now, sometimes it's worth doing that based on your financial plan. But you have to realize that that can affect your Medicare premiums. So if you convert a large amount of money to an IRA to a Roth in 2023, or if you've sold a large piece of real estate or sold a bunch of stock and your income goes way up, um, two years later, you're going to get a notice that you're going to be paying a lot more for your Medicare Part B premiums until your taxable income goes back down. So it's very important to take a look at that. The other thing, reason why we have to do very careful tax flow projections is because of how the capital gains tax bracket works. This it, it's a it's a different animal here. So if we look at the capital gains tax brackets, it's one of those things where <clears throat> 2017 created a lot of confusion but a whole bunch of opportunity. And the, the reason why I say this is because it disconnected ordinary income tax brackets from capital gains tax brackets. So if, if we take a look at capital gains tax brackets, first of all, what is capital gain? A capital gain is if you sell stock or real estate and the capital gains tax brackets, if you, if you own that, if you sell stock or real estate that you've owned for less than a year, then it's essentially taxed like ordinary income. But if you have held a stock for over a year <clears throat> or real estate for over a year, and then you sell it for a gain, the gain is taxed as ordinary income. And so when you look at that again, let's, let's pretend for a second that you have no other income. You don't have any IRA withdrawals. There's no income from work. There's no interest from bank accounts. Um, there's nothing coming in on the ordinary income side like rental property, that net income is taxed as ordinary income. For example, there's some caveats there, but let's say all you had was dividends from US-based stocks 
and you have capital gains from selling stocks that you've owned over a year or real estate that you've owned over a year. First of all, again, you have that standard deduction, right? Around 13,000 single around, you know, close to 30,000 married finally and jointly. And you got to realize that there is a huge 0% capital gains tax rate where you can have a bunch of income. If you're single up to $44,000 of income from US-based dividends and, and, and long-term capital gains, if you have no other income, you can have your standard deduction plus another 44 grand, 44,625 to be exact, at the 0% capital gains bracket. And for married filing jointly, it's up to 89,250. Now, where this comes into play is especially early retirement, where you can control where your money comes from before Social Security, before required minimum distributions. Um, you can control where your money comes from. Do I draw from my IRA or 401k or do I sell stock that I've held for a long time? And a lot of people go into retirement, especially in the Bay Area, with highly concentrated stock positions. And they're always afraid to sell it because they think they're going to pay a large tax. Well, you get to the end of the year and you can calculate, okay, where am I at in my tax bracket? Maybe uh, maybe all I have is I haven't pulled money out of my IRAs. I've got a little bit of, uh, I've got a bunch of stock that has gains and where do I take my income? And they're sitting on $60,000 of capital gain income, no other income. And they think if they sell stocks, they're going to pay capital gains. But in that scenario, they could raise another 19 or uh, 29,000 rather from, cause you go all the way up to 89,250 plus your standard deduction or itemized, whichever is greater and have capital gains at 0%. The, the issue here is that once you start, even though your capital gains income does, uh, long-term income does not affect how much you pay in the ordinary income tax brackets that we just talked about, your ordinary income can push your capital gains up into a higher bracket. So one of the other pitfalls that can happen if you don't do IRA to Roth conversions correctly is that it's not just how much do you pay on that IRA to Roth conversion. It's what does that IRA to Roth conversion do to your dividend income and your capital gain income? Does it push it from either the zero to the 15% or from the 15 to the 20% capital gains tax rate? So if you're going into retirement and you're, you're trying to say, I want to manage my taxes. I want to look at IRA to Roth conversions but then yet I have a whole bunch of Microsoft stock or Apple stock that I need to reduce my exposure over time, um, if not sooner than later, then you need to look at these capital gains brackets. So there's a lot of moving parts. We have to use software that says, okay, if we do this, what happens to all of these different pieces between um, how much you, it can increase your social security tax for taking social security, it can increase your Medicare part B premiums or capital gains tax and there's typically a bit of a sweet spot where I got to fill in this bracket, but I don't want it to affect my capital gains tax. And I don't want it to push me into the next Medicare Part B premium increase. So there is a lot of moving parts that occurs. And it's, it, you know, it's getting to know your bracket. Now, if you are sitting there paying somebody, you know, over 1% to manage your money in a portfolio of stocks, ETFs, funds, you know, that's the easy part of financial planning is to create the portfolios and manage the investments. Doing all of this other planning, that's when you really get to what you pay for when you're working with a fee-only certified financial planner and a, and a team to help figure out what is the best approach here. What should you be doing? 
towards the end of the year, that's when you want to do your tax planning. You don't do your tax planning when you're filing your tax return with your, with your tax preparer. It's too late. You've got to do it towards the end of the year and kind of take that idea of, yeah, I want to fill in the tax brackets. I want to keep, once I retire, it's not about how much money do I save in taxes each and every year. It's about how do I pay the least amount of taxes over the next 35 years that I'm going to be in retirement. So getting to know what you're doing there um, is really, really important. The first step is having a very detailed financial plan and a cash flow projection so that you can see, am I, do I have a lot of money left over when I'm 100 years old? Um, the other thing that you have to realize is that when you age, if you go into assisted living, nursing home, long-term healthcare, your medical expenses go way up. And a lot of times you can start pulling money from your IRAs and those medical deductions will help offset a lot of those, the taxes from that. So you also have to be aware of your health, longevity, medical history. It all comes into play when you're doing this financial planning. But I tell you, if you can think about moving money from an IRA to a Roth, paying the taxes now at a much lower bracket, creating a tax-free account that you can draw off later, that you can leave to your kids, every single chunk of IRA to Roth that you do, even if it's $20,000 a year for the next several years, will reduce the amount of required minimum distributions because Roth IRAs don't have a point in time where you're forced to take money out while you're alive. But everything you do now will help reduce your tax hit in the future when you're either 73 or 75, depending on your age. So you have to be aware of that. Lots of things to think about when you're doing IRA to Roth conversions. All right. So another thing that I wanted to talk about today on the show, and by the way, we go over a lot of these ideas. We've got the event coming up on December 7th. It's a webinar. So even podcast listeners across the country can go sign up at chadburton.com down towards the middle of the page. It's December 7th, 6.30 PM Pacific Standard Time. And uh, log on and, and you'll see me cover the seven key things that you need to think about to make sure you're ready for retirement. And I, I do talk about this IRA to Roth deduction idea. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, though, is we get into the holidays. And this is the, the time for giving, right? Um, at EP Wealth, we even have um, a donor advice fund that each of our different regions and offices get to get together and say, which charities are we going to be funding this year? And so it's it's a time to think about giving. And you start getting those things in the mail, the flyers, the charities that you love and, and maybe even volunteer for start to remind you, hey, we, we need some extra money here. So what do you do about your charitable giving? What's the best way to do that? From a financial planning angle at a basic level, if you have any non-retirement accounts at all, so no, I'm talking about just a normal taxable brokerage account, not in an IRA, not in a 401k, not in a Roth, but but taxable account, either an individual account in your name, joint account with your spouse or a living trust account. Rather than giving cash, so if you're giving money to charity, even if it's over 500 bucks, you might want to consider saving your cash. Hold on to your cash because if you have highly appreciated stock, um, you own Apple for years, Microsoft for years, Tesla, whatever it may be, you have a, a large gain in that stock. And if you sell it, you're going to pay capital gains tax at the federal level and in some cases, state income tax if you're in Oregon or California. If you, instead of giving $500 to your favorite charity or $5,000 or $50,000 to your favorite charity, most charities have a brokerage account. They have a stock account 
where you can tell your brokerage account, you can say, hey, I'm, I got an account at Fidelity or Schwab or some shares of a mutual fund at Vanguard. You can find out the brokerage account information from your favorite charity and have your account send shares over to your charity. So let's say you want to give your charity $5,000 and you bought Apple stock. You have five, you have a whole bunch of Apple stock, but you have a, a couple shares that you bought for, you know, 500 bucks. Now it's worth $5,000. Well, if you sell it, you're going to pay a bunch of taxes on it. But if you gift it to charity, you can avoid the capital gains tax. They can sell it, not pay any taxes because they're a nonprofit 503C. Um, and then you've kept your cash and you can either choose to then invest your cash back into that stock and upgrade your cost basis or buy something else or just save your cash. So it's a great way to do it when you, when you gift appreciated stock, you have to, you know, consult advisor. How is that going to affect your tax return? Um, there is some income limitations in with if you gift appreciated stock to your favorite church or charity, it's deductible. Um, up to 30% of your adjusted gross income. So you've got to be aware of how itemized deductions and taxes work. So at a basic level though, save your cash, give highly appreciated stock if you're under 70 and a half. Now, if you're trying to save, that is that saves taxes on eventual capital gains tax. If you're trying to get a deduction on your tax return, not everybody gets a deduction for their charitable giving. Right. Because the reason why is because if you're taking the standard deduction, if you're itemized deductions between your mortgage interest, your medical expenses, your charitable deductions, if that those numbers aren't above the, the standard deduction, then you might be giving a couple grand or, you know, 10 grand even. You might not even still be itemizing your deductions. So if you're trying to gift, there's one thing that I want to benefit a charity. There's another one. If I want to benefit my tax return, I need to know how my itemized deductions work. How much do I have to give before I go from the standard deduction to itemizing your deductions? Ask yourself, first of all, how much do I want to give over the next five to 10 years? Do I have a, a pretty consistently, I'm giving, let's say, five grand a year between my favorite church and charity and everywhere else, I'm giving five grand a year. So I know over the next 10 years, I'll probably give away 50 grand. I don't want to give it away now, but oh, I probably will over the next 10 years. So you got to ask then ask your CPA, your tax advisor, certified financial planner, whatever it may be, how much do I have to give before I start itemizing and, and figure out what that is? Because another really great tool is called a donor advised fund. So let's say you're that person that, you know, I, I'm giving five grand a year to my favorite church and charity and everywhere else. Um, but I'm still, even with that, I'm still taking the standard deduction. And I have all this highly appreciated stock and I, I kind of want to sell some of it because it's rallied way up. Um, what you could do is fund a donor advised fund. So Fidelity and Schwab both have donor advised funds. And what that means is you could take 10 years worth of that or 50 grand. You can transfer 50 grand of highly appreciated stock into the donor advised fund. Um, you can immediately sell it, diversify the portfolio, and you don't have to give it to any charity right now. You can sell it without any current tax hits. You can create a diversified portfolio. And then if you want to give to your favorite charities, either a little bit this year or a, a lot this year, a little bit, there's no, there's no requirements to give the money to the charities yet, but it's in your own donor advised fund. And what that does is it, 
allows you to get rid of the stock without paying in capital gains taxes. You can control how much you gift out of that, but you get to write that whole thing off on your tax return in the year that you do that up to 30% of your adjusted gross income and whatever you don't get a write off, you get to carry forward for up to five years. So sometimes pre-funding several years worth of gifting using a donor advised fund can really make a huge impact on your tax return. So that's something that you want to talk about now because look, it's already mid-November and brokerage firms are extremely busy this year. This is the busiest I've seen the Fidelities and the Schwabs out there because so many people have opened trading accounts to get back into bonds or treasuries. Um, we have, you know, TD Ameritrade was purchased by Schwab. So there's a lot of, you know, busyness there. And now is the time to do it. It is crunch time to think about IRA to Roth conversions and giving and things like that. Now, let's switch gears when it comes to giving. If you're over the age of 70 and a half, right? Oftentimes, and again, consult your tax advisor on this. And, and, you know, we've at EP Wealth, we have our certified financial planners, our planning team, our tax team. We have software that helps calculate this stuff all out as part of the financial plan. But oftentimes what we see is if you're over 70 and a half and you have charitable intent, the best way to fund your favorite charities, um, this includes churches and things like that for tithing, uh, any 503C nonprofit organization is even though the required minimum distribution for IRAs and 401ks moved to age 73, the IRS allows you to give up to $100,000 a year from your IRA directly to your favorite charities over the age of 70 and a half without paying taxes on it. So if you want to reduce your taxes in the future, you can take money that you've never paid taxes on and give it to charity. It's called a qualified charitable distribution. Um, without paying taxes on that IRA money. And the charity won't pay taxes on it either because they're a nonprofit. So you can do up to $100,000 a year. And so if you are 70 and a half or older and you're funding your favorite nonprofit organizations, consider doing that out of your IRA. There's a couple ways to do it. One is each custodian typically has a qualified charitable distribution form that you can fill out and tell them where you want the money to go to. You can literally get a checkbook on your IRA and write checks to charity. However, your custodian will not track that for you. They will not give you a report that said you gave this to charity. You have to keep your receipts, keep your details, and make sure you tell your tax preparer what you did so that they can file the right forms when you go file your taxes on your charity. So those are two of the major things that we're thinking about um, as we get towards the end of the year. And what is the crunch time planning that you need to do now before really December 15th? Because after December 15th, if you're trying to do IRA to Roth conversions, gift to charity, custodians may not get it done because they're going to be so busy. So I just wanted to put that out there. And by the way, don't forget, sign up for the webinar that Rob Black and I have coming up, Seven Steps for Retirement Readiness. That's Thursday, December December 7th, so a couple weeks away, Thursday, December 7th, 6.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you want to register for it, just go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. It's midway down the page, and you can see where you can sign up for the webinar. Um, Sit at home, have a glass of wine, whatever, and uh, think about the seven key things that you need to think about if you're ready to get ready for retirement. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can also find me, um, you know, iTunes if you're Uh, listening in some other platform or listening online, download the podcast, leave me a review when you have a chance. Have a great day. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.